0: New Testament, the book of 1 Timothy, 3rd chapter, Uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7 as we are covering the chapter of, I am a church member dealing with, I will pray for my church leaders. If you have the U Bible version, we are live this Sunday, so you can check in right there on your app uh, to read along with us in the New Living uh, Translation. First Timothy uh, third chapter verses one through seven. Word of God says, This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position so an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach he must be faithful to his wife he must exercise self-control live wisely and have a good reputation he must enjoy having guests in his home and he must be able to teach he must not be a heavy drinker or be violent he must be gentle not quarrelsome and not love money He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer, because he might become proud, and the devil will cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him, so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Praise God for His words. You may be seated. Going to deal with praying for my church leaders. This text is a very oftentimes used in times of ordinations and installations of pastors into respective churches to highlight the qualities and the characteristics of of such pastors. But one thing I want to highlight that if you look closely in here, it does not give you duties and responsibilities, but it does point out the character of the overseer. And so looking at this, it's hard to say what does the pastor do, but it's not hard to say who should the pastor be. It says that he should be a faithful man to his wife and to his church, that he should be able to teach, not given to much wine or being a drunk, not an argumentative person, a pugnacious person, not a lover of money, but a generous person. So we understand the characteristics and the qualities of the pastor. And so looking at this, think about the first point that points out that he must be above reproach. Uh, that alone is a hard task for anybody to be above reproach. And so looking at when it says that if he desires to be an elder, in some translations it reads elder, some translations it reads bishop, some may read prester, but the title of the word is overseer, one who oversees, one who's in charge or control. In our modern terminology, we don't say bishop and, and presper and elder all the time. We say pastor. And so, but yet all these terms are used interchangeably within our word of God, referring to the same person, a pastor, a bishop, an elder, an overseer, is the same person. And so here we want to look at why pray for my leaders. There's power in prayer. If you need some research, you can check that 12th chapter in Acts. And find out when their church leader got arrested and they already beheaded one, they went into the house and started praying for the other one. It says the whole church was in prayer for Peter. And and we understand that God was moving on their behalf because something miraculous happened. While, While they were in prayer, God was releasing whom they were praying for. It's a beautiful thing because at the, at the time of their prayer, Peter's being shook and woken up, chains let loose, led out of, of an armed guard, heavily armed. All he had was just God's blessed angel guiding him and directing him safely out, opening up doors for him and closing them back so that he could get to where the people of the church were praying. They were so much in prayer that they didn't understand that somebody was knocking at the door. And who they were praying for was knocking at the door. You see, God moves in the church's prayer. And they were concerned for their church leader. And they understood that one thing we can do is go to a God that's able to do exceedingly and above and beyond what we can ask, think, or even imagine. All according to the riches in us and for the glory of his church in Christ Jesus. And so we understand that the church needs to pray for its leadership. There's power in prayer. There's purpose in prayer. And also, check this out, leaders need encouragement and support, too. Sometimes we feel that we don't have to encourage our leader because they're doing such a good job, but it's good to hear it. Everybody wants to hear they're doing a good job every once in a while. Just think about how mom makes dinner every day for the children, but nobody ever says, thank you, mom, for dinner. But they sure enough get up from the table full, but nobody comes by and says, thank you, mom, for dinner. It's amazing how this, when people are doing the tasks that they're supposed to do that you can show gratitude and appreciation when they're doing the job and they're doing the job well. Because we sure enough going to get on if they don't do it well. And so in our prayers, we are encouraging them and lifting them up. Even Paul in his letters to also solicited their prayers. He says, Pray for me. Definitely. And you look at Ephesians the, the sixth chapter, it makes it clear that he he told them, he told them to be strong in the and the mighty of God, putting on the whole armor of God. But you understand part of that armor of God that we oftentimes don't preach about was prayer. He says also in that same time and pray for each other and one another in the faith. Then he also closed out and pray for me. He said, "Pray for me specifically that I might make make a clear, bold uh, response in the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ." Paul understood that I need your prayers to strengthen me. Paul understood in times of loneliness that it was their prayers that encouraged him. And brother, he said, "I thank you for your prayers." Because of your prayers, the gospel is going for. Though I may be in chains, the gospel is not in chains. And so we understand that praying for our leadership is a good thing because our leaderships have great responsibility. Again, look at It, it says that he must be a person above reproach. I want to highlight that because once he gives that statement, he qualifies what it means to be above reproach. To be above reproach is one who is not what? Given to wine. One who is married and sing, uh, married to one wife. Not I mean having little an affairs and sleeping around. Meaning that this one is faithful in his marriage. Meaning also that one is not giving to a love of money or not quarrelsome, not ag- argumentative, but gentle and patient and tolerant and forbearing. And also realizing that this one has to be careful how they handle their household and, and be responsible. Now, that's another thing. All bias. Because some of us, if we tell the truth, want to always judge somebody else's children when we're in the grocery store. If that was my child, i will whip them. But if your child did the same thing, you'd be asking somebody, well, you don't know what I'm going through. We can always make excuses for ourselves with somebody else's child that they would never do such a thing to me. That we are easy to criticize and put ourselves in different perspectives. But think about it, that if everybody in-house was perfect, there would be no psychologists, no psychiatrists, no sociologists. But that's not the fact, Because the fact is that everybody has some issues that we need help dealing with. And one way we can deal with it is prayer. And so in our prayer, we see God's will and lift up the church. Because the leadership is responsible. He's responsible to be an overseer, this good work. And, and think about this good work. Another thing that says is that only does the, the overseer to be above reproach, but he's desiring a good work. And look with the good work. The good work is what? Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. To being an evangelist and sharing this truth. Paul points out to to Timothy and it says, do the work of an evangelist, encouraging him. And and I highlight this, too, because when Paul wrote to Timothy, he also was writing to Ephesians, because he was in Ephesus. So you not only have the letter to the Ephesians, you also have this letter to Timothy, who he left in Ephesus to preach and proclaim the truth to them. So obviously you can check out and look at it that he has some work to be done. Because if you look through Ephesians, he talks about unity, he said there's one body, one God, one Father, one baptism in us all to break down, divide into unity, to combat against false teaching. So he now has empowered Timothy this good work that you need to boldly stand up against opposition and proclaim the truth. Think about it for a moment. Think about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. How we can celebrate him now, but he wasn't highly celebrated in his time. That even at the time when he spoke up and spoke out against the Vietnam War, he went from being the Nobel Peace Winner to being invited to the White House, from being barred from the White House, not being accepted to some people's churches, not even allowed in some people's cities because they didn't want a troublemaker coming by. But this was the same man, Sunday after Sunday, praying for the parishioners, praying for the city praying for the United States of America, preaching or proclaiming the truth, but yet he had a face criticism for boldly standing up for the truth. So think about the works of the ministers. In this book, I talk about this good work of this pastor this is a true story so he just changed some names but in this book it says how uh, death came within the church nothing new pastor goes and takes care of the family spends a quality time with them then he has to leave to go prepare himself to sing, to pray at an invocation at a high school game then he goes home with the family then finally he goes into a study that he has there to break down and cry because throughout all that day helping everybody else he didn't have a time to grieve for himself because the man that died was his best friend. Just think about how that that story rings true and not only did nobody in the story ask the pastor how he was doing. He said, sorry for your loss. Can I pray for you? But he was there praying for everybody else. Had a man came to him with counseling issues. I got a problem. My wife, she's breaking it. She's cheating on me. He was there for that person to encourage him. He said, I ain't got time for your problems. I got issues for my own. No, he was there for him. So we need to pray for the leadership because they're doing a good work, a work that is desirable, is a good work, and a work that needs to be lifted up and encouraged because they're doing a good work. And therefore, that's why when we pray for them to be above reproach, we want to pray for their heart because why? They said to be gentle. We don't want a a pastor that's an autocrat, but we we don't want a pastor that's domineering. We want one who's gentle. And so we have to pray for this. So not only is this a good point to look at in times of calling of a pastor, but also looking at one who desires to be a pastor. Do I have the temperament, the attitude, and the, and the position in my faith to humble myself and serve for the glory of God? Because the leadership of this church shows his qualifications. It says, that, therefore, must emphasize the necessity of a of saint having good character, and the descriptions that follow the overseer must be above reproach, blameless, and not what? Discredited. The work of overseer is that his character involves his work. The character of the church leader helps with the witness of the church and her influence. Think about if the leader's no good, people will think the church is no good. Y'all quiet on me. You know for a fact there's some people that, that will say one church name, and you'll think of who the pastor is. say, oh, I'm never going there. Because you have uh, an, an inflection of who you think that man of God is and is, has impacted you in your perspective of who the church is. Y'all quiet them, I mean, that's all right. Because statistics show us that, there's, uh, 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 let, me, let me pull it up for us. Statistics shows us that it says that almost monthly there's like 1,200 churches that close. Over 1,000, 3,000 pastors were terminated by the local church each month, many without cause. 4,000 new churches begin each year and 7,000 churches close. It says this, 80%, check this out, 80% believe pastor ministry has negatively affected their families. 70, 70% of pastors consistently fight depression. And so just think about these statistics that was taken by George Barner and, and, and the Safer Institute. Talk about how they took these numbers and think about how these men and women of God feel in such this predicament that they feel depressed, their, their families under fire. They feel they're doing so much work for such little pay. They feel that they're not being appreciated for the work that they are doing that men end up leaving and some of them don't even last past 10 years. And so go back again to how hard it is for a man to be above reproach and have all this in check. We so enough need some prayer because we know that we need God to help us out. Am I right about it? No one can do it by themselves. We need prayer. We need encouragement to get there. And so part of this prayer is showing that if this person is going to be above reproach, then it meets these qualities and these characteristics. And so we know what to look for and then we know what not to look for. It says not look for one who's addicted to wine. Not a drunk, having impaired judgment or lack of self-control. And pugnacious means violent, always willing to fight and being argumentative, being a, a bully, being quick-tempered, easily irritated and given to violent emotional outbursts. Let's think about it, how that pastor, if he was truly being open to be temperamental when someone came up to him and said, I ain't got time for you right now. How would you feel about that? How is the pastor going to act like that? So we need to pray for the pastor that in times of irritations, in times of pain, in times of agony, that the pastors, the leaders will be there. Because think about it. If you call on the elders, you call on the deacons, you sick in the hospital, do you want to hear about their problems? You want them to hear about your problems. You don't want to say, I ain't got time to come visit you in the hospital. I'm at the doctor myself. Click. You don't want to hear that? You want to hear, I'll be right there. Oh, praise the Lord. This is what it takes in the process of leadership that oftentimes we got to look to serve others before we serve ourselves. Another thing it says about in leadership that many times pastors help fail them because they are so concerned taking care of others that they fear to take care of themselves. Once One person was talking about how they went to a buffet at a minister's conference and started noticing that many of the ministers' growth size was bigger than when they started out. And, and looking at that, that, could, that shows something that sometimes that they just became fatter because of lack of exercise, lack of time of mobility and moving around, or lack of healthy eating habits because consistently always on the move, so therefore they get on the move food. Which is high calories, high, high cholesterol, and not getting the proper time because you know it takes time to cook a good meal. You know, you, to get some fresh vegetables, you can't just go to the store and get some fresh vegetables and sit down and so say, let's eat. No, they're going to at least take some 30 minutes to cook them, to season them, to get them ready how you want, along, not alone, counting the meat and the breads and the starch to have you a good, comfortable meal. And so, why we look at these circumstances, that's why we need to pray for the pastor. So here's some requests. You pray for the pastor's health, mentally and physically. You pray and, 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 and encourage them to ha- make sure they're at the health club. Ask them, are they walking, running regularly? And pray for them and encourage them. We need to make sure that they're taking the time to do what they need to do so that they say help. Because think about it. How can someone who's not healthy help you? It's hard to help somebody when you can't help yourself. And so we need to pray for them mentally and physically. Another thing, too, to pray for them is pray for the pastor's study. Pray that he preaches. Pray that he is ready to, receive, to preach the word as you will be ready to receive the word. Think about how when you come to worship, aren't you ready to hear a word from God? And you know you're going to talk about if you didn't, get, if you didn't preach, right? You say, I don't know what's wrong with pastor today. He, he must have been sick or something because I, 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 didn't, I didn't get a word today. We want to hear a word from God, and we want to hear it from him. And we understand that we want, I say hear from him, hear from God. You don't want to hear from the man. You want to hear his, uh, his opinions, his platitudes, his personal per, uh, perspective. We want to hear, is this the word of God? That's why Paul says, pray for me, that I, make, that I boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel of this faith. We need to pray for our pastors that they rightly divide the word of truth so that he be a good ambassador. Not only do we pray for his, his preaching, we pray for his teaching, because he said he should be able to teach, that he continues to grow with that gift in teaching. And then when we grow, as he grows, we pray for his, his mental health, his physical health. We also want to pray for his family. Think about just the, the undaunting task, responsibility of our pastors and our leaders, that it says that their household needs to be in good order. Think about how other people's households are not in good order, but they're still presidents of companies. Y'all quiet on me. They're still CEOs. They still are billionaires and millionaires. But yet if a pastor's house is not in order, they want to kick them out. So think about how can someone be a, a functioning alcoholic but still be the president of an organization? Nobody wants to talk about getting rid of them. Someone can have many extramarital affairs and be on their 14th wife, but still be the CEO. Won't nobody talk about their character because they're making the money. But a pastor is not about the bottom line, but his vocation is also his lifehood. So how he lives, how he walks is also a witness and a testimony to God. So we need to pray for them that they continue to be a good witness for the glory of God. So when we realize this, we see, oh, God, I I need to pray for our leadership because there's a a burden upon them. There's a, a task upon them. Not only that, because think about how the family has to share the pastor with the church. The family, the children's activities don't stop just because somebody had a funeral. Children's activities don't stop just because somebody got rushed to the emergency room. Children still need to eat. They still need to go to school. Y'all quiet on me. It's all right. We, We need to realize that those responsibilities don't stop just because he came to check on you. So we need to pray for our leaders. Because think about how many times you go to the hospital. You might see a pastor going into the hospital. That's time he took away from somewhere else to come see about somebody else. And we ought to be excited about that, that our pastors come and visit us. It's a good time that when you go to the hospital, you see, you see pastors' cars, you recognize, see them visiting with the parishioners, checking on them, being there for them. So think about how, how we, uh, uh, Pastor Price talks about how when you call at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, you don't want them to say, I'll see you tomorrow. You didn't call for that. You call because I want to see you. Or you tell somebody else because I can't call. Can you call and make sure a pastor No, because you understand that when you deliver a message, you don't want It's not FYI for your information. So-and-so's in the hospital, room 230. Thank you for that information. No, you've got specific name and specific place so you can be there at a specific time. We receive the information, so we want people to respond to the information. So we want our elders, our deacons, to be there for us. That's why it says in James, "What if you're sick in front? What call on the elders?" Right? We want the elders to lay on hands and pray for one another and be there one for another. We don't want people in positions and titles only. We want the work to be done. But yet, that brings them elders, those deacons, away from their families and their friends. But yet, we rejoice for that. Because they desire a good work. A good work. And so we want to lift them up and pray for them. In this, we need to realize that we need to pray for our church leaders' integrity. Because it says here the enemy has set a trap, he has set a snare. Do you understand that a trap means it's been preset? Let me say that again. Some of y'all didn't, everybody didn't catch that. It is preset. That means the enemy has set. Think about it. You, you catch a mouse trap in a trap that is set. If it's already been, if it's already been closed, you're not going to catch a mouse. You're going to find the peanut butter's all gone. <laughs> but you won't find a mouse in the trap. The enemy sets traps because he understands that if I can get the leadership, I can get the body. And sometimes in order for him to get to the leadership, he'll go to the body. The Bible says that in Jude that we need to beware of those among us. We should try to save those that we can and let those burn that is going to burn. But we need to beware around us that there are wolves amongst us that are trying to devour the sheep. So we need to pray one for another. And pray for our leaders and not to fall into the snares of the enemy. Because think about uh, how when you read such sad stories of many of pastors and elders falling for moral failures and the church suffering, the enemy set his trap. That's why we got to pray for discernment, pray for wisdom, so that they know how to properly handle themselves. That's why it says not to be a knowledge so they fall easily to a trap. We need to be aware of this because the devil is seeking whom he may devour in conclusion, I want to share how in praying for our church leader, we understand Jesus pointed out Peter to be the leader of his church. He tells Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell should not prevail. And he he empowers Peter. He emboldens Peter and tells him how he needs to be a leader amongst the disciples, the apostles. And so the and, and, and so a little church history for you. So during the Apostle Age, the apostles were the leadership with the government of the church. You go to Acts 15 chapter, there was problems throughout the, the Christian area. They had to go back to the, to the apostles and say, you know what? How can we satisfy and fix this issue? And they spoke up and said, we ought to do this, write down this decree and share that with them so all can understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. He established the leadership in Peter. But do you also learn Understand that Jesus prayed for Peter. Luke twenty second chapter verses 31 to 32. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to shift each of you like we. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Mm. Jesus prayed for the leaders of realizing that the enemy is trying to attack you, and that you are a man, that you may fail. But I'm praying for your strength in the faith, that you repent, and that also you restore the brethren. What I like about this is that Jesus understood that I'm praying for my leadership of my church so that you will be a strong, godly leader for the people, so you could be a good example for the brethren. Because not only Peter fought, but many of them scattered away when Jesus was taken up. But he called on the leader to bring them back together. He says, I'm trusting you. I'm empowering you to get right and get them right so y'all can be right. Jesus is aware of the tricks of the enemy. And he prays specifically for his servant, Peter, to be strong. We understand the same prayer. The Bible says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil or the wicked one. We understand that the enemy is trying to get us, but our God is able to deliver us. And so when we pray for our church leadership and we pray one for another, we're letting know that our God is in control. And if they can pray in Acts the 12th chapter when one was already beheaded and Peter was next to be beheaded and they can pray and God can send angels to shake the place and move him out and free him up. We know God is able. God can answer the prayer of saying how Peter who who cursed and denied him three times but repented, restored the brother and started proclaiming the gospel that he was the one that was locked up and he says, y'all need to make up your mind but I already made up my mind. You going to do what man says or you going to do what God said, but we're all going to do what God says. We need to pray for one that we can boldly stand on his truth. So think about when we're praying for our church leaders. We're not only praying for them because of, of a selfish place of, oh, well, we got to lift them up because he says so. No, I pray for them because there's going to be times I'm going to need them. And I want them to be strong when I need them. Think about it, how everybody's healthy now, but when you get sick, who you gonna call? Everybody's healthy now, but let somebody die, who you gonna call? You're not gonna call TD Jakes to come take care of your funeral, though, how you love and watch him on TV. He's not the one that's gonna come and serve you. We need to pray for our leaders that are right here, tangible, able to see and touch who you know their name, you know their family, you know where they live. That's who we need to pray for so that they can be there for us as they will be there for you. And so as we look to being a church member, it brought into this pledge that I will take five minutes each day to pray for my church leaders. Early today, I asked us to pray one for another. Hopefully, it gets contagious that as you're praying for your church, leaders start trickling down. That you start praying for your church. And when you start praying for your church, you got no choice but to pray for the leadership. Because how can you be a church without being properly organized? That's another sermon, so I'm going to leave that day. And so when we are in a proper perspective of who our Lord is, and that the church is the body of Christ, and we serve him, then we want to make sure we all are doing the best they can to serve the greatest of kings, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the host of hosts, who's made it able for us to do awesome, amazing things. And I said, I want to close showing how he worked with Peter. Do you understand, once Peter got the brothers together, start looking at Acts 12, chapter you saw miraculous things happening within the body of Christ. Peter's shadow, y'all, was causing people to get healed. Hmm. People were drawn out in large numbers. Coming. It says 4,000, 3,000 were counts of those coming to know. It says miracles and wonders and signs. followed them. It's amazing when the church comes together. We start seeing the miraculous move of our God. And we need each other. We need all. We said a unifying body. All of us working with the gifts and talents that he's given. Some apostles, some prophets, some preachers, some, some pastors, some teachers, some evangelists. We need to all work with the gifts that he's given us. And we all need to pray one for another. And we need to especially pray for our church leaders. Let's pray. Lord, we come.